And so that's what this morning is going to be about, is that, that that's where we need to go. That if we're, if we're truly going to be consumed by the gospel, right? If you and I are going to understand what, what this means to be Christians, if we're going to understand what it means to, to live our lives faithfully to Christ, then we need to understand that the, the gospel calls us to salvation and it calls us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That we live on Christ's terms. That we come to Him on His terms, right? Because the reality is, the reality is, God does not bend. God doesn't bow. Christ doesn't conform to anybody. Jesus won't. He will not be conformed to any other image. In fact, the scriptures say it this way, especially in the book of Isaiah, God says, listen, I'm Yahweh. I'm the Lord. I'm God. I don't share my glory with another. Right? When, when, when God introduces himself to Moses, he introduces himself as Yahweh. He says, I am who I am. And Malachi says that, that, that God does not change it. He is the Lord. He does not change. God's not going to conform to how we want him to be. Right? But in fact, he calls us to conform to himself. So, so let, let, let's look at this. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord Jesus, God, I pray that you would take your word, God, that you would convict us, encourage us. God, I pray that this morning that your church, your, the believers would leave here encouraged, God, to, to live their life for your glory. That we'd be encouraged and built up to, to be the people you've called us to be, to be the people that you're making us into into the image of your son. God, I, I do, I pray for those who don't know you, God, that they'd be overwhelmed with the beauty of your gospel. They'd be overwhelmed with the love of your gospel and that by that you would draw them to repentance, to faith, um, to a life of submission before you. So I pray that your spirit would meet with us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Okay, in this book, in the book of Galatians, what's going on is he, Paul is confronting a false teaching that's coming to the church. Okay, and the, and the false teaching that he's confronting is this idea that we would call it legalism. Have you ever heard that term? People say, don't be legalistic. Um, and he, he's really confronting that in this passage. And, and what he's saying is that, that, that the church, these Christians, were kind of falling into this false idea that somehow we can please God by our good works. Right. That that somehow because here's what it means that legalism would be the idea that that you could earn God's favor, that you could please God, that you could earn salvation by being good enough. OK, and, and, and a lot of times we would never we would never say that if you've grown up in church, you would never say that you would say, no, we're saved by grace through faith. Right. We, we would say that. But sometimes if we're not careful, we'll slide into living like that. We'll slide into living as if my good works either earn me favor with God or they earn me disfavor, right? That, that somehow I'm, I'm going back and forth between pleasing God based on how I live, okay? And we're going to come back to this because it's not like, oh, we can just live however we want, right? We're to be conformed to the image of Christ. We're to live life how God has called us to live it. But we, don't, we can't earn our salvation. And, we, and so we can't, we can't keep God's favor by earning it. And then that, that's legalism. It's a false teaching. We, we can't do that. And, and let, me, let me say this. 
For some of y'all, this is really dangerous. For some of y'all, you, you need to hear a warning here. I think there's a real danger for students that grow up in church, that you grow up going to church, so you hear the truth. There's a danger that you'll start thinking that you're pretty good. You'll start thinking that you're good enough. And that might be because, you know, compared to other kids that you know, maybe you are good, right? Maybe, maybe you, all, you got teachers that tell you, you know, you're, you're a good kid. Maybe you're, you're a great person. Maybe, maybe you're, you got parents that tell you, you know, you're such a good boy. Like, I'm glad you're not like so-and-so's kid. You're so good. I'm so proud of Which, you know, I'm not, I've got two kids and one on the way, and I'm not like, hello, Molly, Marissa. Just want you to know that you're sinners. Like, you know, I don't, even when like Molly, she's my oldest, she's four, you know, and when she like actually shares with her sister, she's sweet to her sister, I'm not like, Molly, I know you just shared, which I've been telling you to do, but I know deep down everything you do is rooted in pride. And so don't look back at me for approval. And like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm like, Molly, that was so sweet. You share, that's good. I'm not saying it's bad that if your parents told you you were good, everything like, well, they set you up for failure. But, but what I'm saying is there's, there's a, there is a warning here. There's a danger that you'll start thinking, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good because I don't do these things and I do these things. And I can kind of live my life where I don't really get in trouble by my parents or by school or by church. And so I could just kind of coast through this and you learn this balancing act of never really dealing with deep rooted sin in your life as long as you're not drawing the attention of the people who are in authority over you. Does that, does that make sense? There's a real danger there because listen, God sees that deep rooted sin, right? And, and we, the Bible says we're born with that. Now that goes all the way back. We talked about last night. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's crazy because the Bible in Romans chapter five, it talks about Adam and it said that he sinned, and because he sinned, we all sinned. And because his sin brought death, death has come to all of us. Does that kind of seem unfair? Adam and Eve blew it, and we're, you know, we're on the hook for it. Does that seem unfair? To us, it does, doesn't it? It's like, you know, if, if my youngest daughter disobeys her mom, you know, I don't, all right, go to the room, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her spanking, and I don't call my oldest in there, too. I'm like... You too, Molly. You're also a human. And Sarah, my wife, um, go ahead. Go, go in there. I want you all to lay on the edge of the bed. No one's going to squirm when I do this. Like, it's a little speech I have to get my daughters. No squirming. Um, all right? Like, no, I don't. Because that, that seems unfair to us, right? But, but we need to understand that, that what seems right or wrong to us can't, can't trump, can't, can't be placed above what God says is true. And what God says is true is that when Adam and Eve sinned, that spread to all of us. And so we're all guilty. And because of that sin that's passed on to us, we, all, we see the fruit of that. We see that we, we're sinful, right? We're all guilty. And, and, and let me say this. You don't want God to do it any other way. Okay? Let me say this. The fact that God imputes sin to the whole human race through Adam... God sees us as all guilty. That sin spreads to all of us. The fact that that's a reality, you don't want it any other way. Okay? You don't. Because it's that same truth of God 
that then allows him to make what we're going to say here in Galatians 2 possible. When, it, when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. So what's he talking about? If we can't earn salvation, right? If, if I can't be good enough to get it, if I can't be good enough to earn God's favor, then how do I get that? How do I, how do I get forgiveness? How do I get God's favor? It's through Christ. It's through Christ being crucified for us. So the same truth about God that allows him to see us all guilty because of the sin of our first parents is the same truth of God that allows him to see Jesus who never sinned, who though he was tempted in every way, never yielded to sin. Jesus is holy, set apart from sin. He never yields to it. He's righteous. Jesus always obeyed the father as a real human being, God in the flesh, The Son, the eternal Word of God, never sins. He always obeys. He always does what's right. Jesus did not deserve to die for our sins. But the same truth of God that will allow him to see us all guilty in the sin of Adam and Eve is the same truth that allows God, the Father, to see the Son as guilty in our place. Does that make sense? I can do it again. Does that make sense? (laughs) We, we don't want God to, we don't, we, we don't want to shake our fist in the, in the face of God and say, you can't hold me responsible for what Adam and Eve did. You don't want to say that because you very much want him to see you through what Jesus did on your behalf. Does that make sense? It's beautiful. The, uh, there's this is old, uh, he's not old now, he's just dead. But this guy, his name was Martin Luther. And, and the way that he explained it, he called this, he called it the great exchange. Okay. And what he said was, listen, on the cross, God saw Jesus with our sin, with your sin and my sin, and he treats Jesus accordingly. God pours out his holy, just wrath on Jesus in our place. Jesus dies under the wrath of God for our sin so that God could take that. Remember, we just said we just said it. Jesus lived this perfect life. He never yielded to sin. He always obeyed. He lived a righteous life. So that God could then take his righteousness and apply it to us. So that he doesn't, God, if you're a Christian, God does not see you through your sin. God sees you through the perfect obedience and righteousness of Jesus. So that's why Paul says, listen, I'm not trying to earn my salvation here. I'm not trying to earn it. Being being righteous doesn't come by keeping the law. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, the old me, the sinful me, I didn't earn my salvation. The old me got nailed up there on the cross with Jesus and I died. So I'm dead to that. I'm dead to trying to earn my salvation. I'm dead to trying to live this life the way that I want to live it. I died. I died with Jesus. God sees it that way. God sees it as if when I, when Jesus was on the cross, as if it was me, he was punishing. And God is satisfied with that. So that he can then give me the righteousness of Christ. Let's, let's read again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, turn over to Romans 3. He says it's similar over here. <clears throat> We, we need to get this. We need to get this. It's so easy to slip into like performance-based living as if, you know, when I, when I feel like I'm doing good, well, then God loves me. And if I'm messing up, God hates me and is angry at me. And if you're a Christian, that's not how this works. 
You didn't earn your salvation to begin with, and so you're not keeping it by your good works. Christ earned your salvation, and it's kept in Him. And so all the way that we need to approach life is that we would stay hidden in Christ. That we'd be like the last person in the skit where we just do everything to surrender and submit ourselves to Christ, to line ourselves up with Him. That's how Paul says this in uh, Romans three nineteen. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So he's saying, he's saying the law, keeping the law, doing good things in our mind, that's not what saves us. In fact, what the law does, God didn't give us the law to show us how to be saved. God gives us the law to show us that we need to be saved. What it does is it shows us that we're guilty, okay? Verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Justified, it means to be declared righteous. This is like this legal saying of God looking at you and saying, you're either guilty or you're righteous. So he's saying, by keeping the law, like no one's going to be justified. God's not going to declare you righteous because at some point you got your good works to outweigh your bad works. Remember, Bertie talked about this the other night. That's, that's not how it works, is that we're evil, we're sinful in and of ourselves. And we need to believe that. that's what Scripture says about us. Before we're in Christ as human beings, we're enemies of God, we're under His wrath, we're under His just punishment. Okay? So, and we can't get out of that by our good works. So how do we do it? But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith In Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified, are declared to be righteous by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Jesus did it. Right? There's a lot of big words in there. And what it means is Jesus did it. Jesus satisfied God's wrath. He satisfied the demands of the law that would have crushed us and killed us. And so by faith, we receive righteousness. Listen, if you're a Christian, just like I I just said, I said, you, you need to believe what Scripture says about you. Before Christ, you're an enemy of God. You're under the wrath of God. We deserve hell. But if we're going to believe what the Bible says about us then, then we need to believe what the Bible says about us now that we're in Christ. He's us right. God doesn't see you through the, the, the lens of sin. He sees you through the lens of Jesus' perfect life. And he loves you. He loves you. And he accepts you. And, and, and you're pleasing to him. Not because of your works, but because of faith. The, the writer of Hebrews in, in chapter 11, he, he says, he's talking about, uh, he's just kind of going through a list of people that live their life by faith. And he's talking about this guy named Enoch. You all ever heard of Enoch? Well, let me tell you about Enoch. He's this guy in the Old Testament, and he lived a righteous life, and it says he pleased God, and, and God took him. One day he was, and one day he wasn't. God just takes him. He didn't die. Enoch went from, like, hanging out down here to just, like, Star Trek, beamed up into heaven, right? Right? He's, like, he's on the Millennial Falcon all of a sudden. I knew somebody would, wouldn't let it go. Um, actually, the Millennial Falcon is from Star Wars, and you made a Star Trek. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I made a Star Trek reference, and I felt insecure, and I was like, well, I better mess it up so they don't think I'm a Trekkie. Um, <laughs> I want to be that guy. Um, <laughs> I did like that most recent movie, though. Um, 
What are we talking about? God. Good, good. Oh, Enoch. Yeah. God. Okay. Open up to Genesis 1-1. No, all right. Enoch. Um, Enoch. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, listen, Enoch pleased God. And then he says, and we know that it's impossible to please God without faith. Without faith. Faith is the only thing we have to please God. Not our good works. Faith. Faith in what? Is it like, oh, I'm just going to believe hard enough? No. He's talking about faith. He's talking about trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The only thing that, that pleases God in my life is as I'm trusting Jesus to be the one who rescues me. As I'm trusting Jesus to give me strength for this life, to guide me day by day. As I'm trusting him, that's what pleases God. Not my performance, not my trying to do good. I can't. can't do that. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. This is, this is cool. Because God sees us when he punishes Christ on the cross, and we're identified with Jesus in his death, guess what else we get identified with? His resurrection. His life. So Paul's saying, listen, I, I, I died with Christ. I died to the penalty of the law, I died to the wrath of God, and I died to my old sin nature that used to control me like a slave master. I died to that. Now what? So now I live in Christ. So now I live, God identifies me, He sees me through the resurrection of Christ. And we we get to live in our lives under the power of the resurrection. The same power that raised Christ from the death should be on display in our lives. So, so it's not like, all right, so you say we don't have to good, do good stuff. We just believe in Jesus. Sweet. So I can go do whatever I want. Sin doesn't count anymore. I can, you know, I'm going to go to heaven. Jesus did it. So I can party until I die, right? Nope. Right? The, the scriptures forbid that. In, in, in Romans chapter 6, he says, so, so because grace covers my sin, should we, should we sin all the more so there'll be more grace? You know, like, uh, that's tricky kind of thinking, isn't it? Oh, I see what happens. If I sin, God pours out grace and grace is good. We need more grace. So I should sin more. No, it doesn't work that way. It, Paul says, no, may it never be. Cause, because this new life has is, is been brought in us by the resurrection of Christ. When you come to him for salvation, now it's our desire to live for him. It's our desire to please him, right? So it's not just, I get out of the way and, you know, it's not like, all right, Jesus, take the wheel. Right? Who's saying that? Carrie Underwood. I wanted to say Kelly Pickler, but that was a different season of real world or whatever it was. Um, all right. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. Uh, I'll be over here. Wake me up when we get there. Right? Like, is that how we're to live our lives? Like, all right, Jesus is just going to do it. So just do my thing and try. No, like, we've got responsibility here, right? The responsibility for us is to pursue hiding ourselves in Christ, to pursue surrender to Christ, that we'd live our lives by faith in the Son of God who loves us. That's what Paul says here, that we live our lives by faith in the Son of God who loves us. So what what we need to do is we need to renew our minds to what's really true about us. We need to let the Scriptures tell us who we are. We need to find our identity in Christ. This is what God says is true about us. If you're a believer, let the Bible define who you are. It's like the, the oldest message ever, but listen, quit, quit trying to find 
your purpose and your identity and hope and joy and happiness in anything else. It's not going to work. We find it in Christ. And if you would find it of Christ, if you would pursue your identity in Christ and hope and peace and joy in what Christ has already done, what he's already done and then what he's promised to do for us in the future. If you'd find your identity in that, that'll free you from seeking it in the things of this world. It'll free us from trying to be happy by how much money we have or who's our friend and who's not our friend or boyfriend, girlfriend, feelings and whatever. It'll free us from all that. We'll have it in Christ and that'll free us to just then love and serve other people, to love and serve people with the gospel. That'll free us to be unashamed of the gospel. What's going what's gonna to give you the courage to begin to share your faith, to be unashamed of Jesus in your home or in your school or with strangers? What's going to free you is understanding who you are in Christ. Understanding what Jesus has done for you and how God sees you. And when, 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 when you see yourself as God sees you, that's going to free you from... Because there'll be a point where you don't care what people think. Not like the arrogant kind of, I don't care what he thinks about me. Right? Where then you just act like a jerk. Well, I don't care. Not like that. But like where you don't care because you've been accepted and loved by the most high God. And when that love is in place in your life, it frees you from needing that from other people. And so you don't try to manipulate other people for it. It frees you just to love and serve others with the love that you've received from Christ. Is that making sense? Look, turn over to uh, Ephesians. It's just a couple pages to the right. Well, in my Bible. I don't know. Hopefully, you don't have any extra books between Galatians and Ephesians in yours. Bible joke. All right, let, 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 I'm, I'm just going to read through this and make some comments. Because th- th- this is one of my favorite chapters in, in the Bible. Because uh, it just tells us who we are in Christ. It just gives us this glimpse to understand how what God thinks about us, how he feels about us. And you need to let this you need to let this soak in. Some of you need to let it soak in because because the way that you've been treated throughout your life it's hard for you under, to understand that somebody loves you. Some of you some of you it's hard to identify with the fact that Jesus that through Jesus God becomes your father. Some of you have a hard time identifying with that because of the way your father either wasn't there or because of the way he was there and he was abusive or he was just made you feel like crap. Some of you, you, you need to listen to this because, because you don't feel worthy inside yourself, that you, you hate yourself. And so you need to let the scriptures read who you are. Because what God says is true. Period. What God said is, tr- is true forever. Right? So we need to trust and believe in what God says about us. And some of you need to believe this is true because you find your identity in thinking you're pretty much all right on your own. And that's called self-righteousness. And if there's one thing that scriptures make absolutely clear that God hates, it's self-righteousness. When we say, okay, God, I don't need your provision. I don't need, I don't need your work, Jesus. I'll do this on my own. God hates that. And so we need to get over ourselves and humble ourselves to see ourselves as God sees us through Christ. So let's read through this chapter. We won't be much longer. I'll start in uh, verse 3. Paul says this, and throughout here he's going to say, blessed be, and he's just, man, he's just worshiping God for what he's done for us. He says, I don't know if you got that up there, but blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. As we read through it, 
just mental notes in your mind. Listen to how many times he says, in Christ. What's he doing? Saying, this is who you are. This is your new identity. Remember, we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us that, that's, that are living, but we live in Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Do y'all remember playing kickball in school? Did y'all play kickball? I love kickball. Um, we'd always play. We usually play in the gym. And uh, did y'all play? Would you play kickball in the gym? I loved it because if you hit the back wall above like basketball pads, that was a home run. Um, which I never quite had home run power. And so I would always, uh, I could get it pretty close. So I'd angle it up into the bleachers and I'd, you could get a double, triple easy. Um, and, but, but do you remember... Kickball is fun. I miss that. Last time, I, before I got uh, my full-time job here, I got to substitute teach for a while. And, uh, and I substitute taught a lot in the elementary school and the middle school. And uh, I, I got in good with the gym coaches, and they would always, you know, if they were going to be out, they'd call me. And that was, I mean, I love what I do. I love what I do. I love that God's called me in this ministry to preach. But if I was going to do anything else, gym teacher. It was, I love substitute teaching for the gym. So I'd play, play kickball with them. Uh, although one time, I was at the, it was like my first week substitute teaching, and we were in the elementary school, and they were playing dodgeball. And I was like, oh, heck yeah. So I'm playing with these kids, and, you know, and I'm aiming at their, their legs and you know, taking them out. They're flipping on their head. And this one kid, man, it, it was down to me and a couple kids. And I'm pouring sweat, and they're, you know, they're like third grade. And uh, I pick up uh, the one kid throws the ball at me. I catch it, and I'm like you know, talking trash to them. And, uh, and I crow hop. And I let it fly. I hit this little third grader right in the face. He went, and you could see it happen. Like his lips started quivering. Then like reality came back in. Oh, I'm not in third grade. I'm the adult in here. I was like, who let me do this? And and his lips quivering. And I get down there right in front of him. And I said, I'm telling him like, you're okay. You're okay, man. You're okay. And he starts to cry and it's getting louder. And I'm I'm panicking. I'm like, I'm saying to him, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't be admitting this. I'm saying, please, please, don't tell anybody I hit you in the face with that ball. And he's got this big red ring around his face. He's like, ah. like, he never told on me, though. That was good. Kickball. Okay. Some of y'all, do you remember, you remember picking teams? Would y'all pick teams? That was always kind of a nervous time. It was like, some of y'all were the, the kid picked last, right? Yep. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, sorry. I, I was usually not picked first, but I was usually not picked last. And I, I remember, but that was always kind of entertaining is watching the last couple kids. Cause they'd like look at each other and they're getting nervous. They're like, just don't want to be last. Just don't want to be last. And that's kind of humility. Like, and, um, mm, like there's no one left. It's just me. Like, okay. You know, and like, I don't want to be the kid picked last. I remember uh, I was a youth pastor for a couple of years, and we were doing this uh, youth event, and we'd gone over to this lady's house. They had a big field, and so we were all over there, and we were going to play football. And so me and the other, there was like a middle school and high school youth pastor, so me and the other youth pastor were picking teams for we're going to play flag football. And uh, the mom of the house comes out because she's got two boys in the youth group, and she, gets, she gets, starts going, stop, stop, don't pick teams. No picking teams. We're like, how are we going to play, you know? And uh, 
She's like, if you pick teams, somebody's always embarrassed. And her two kids were the only ones left. And, uh, which didn't really help them many because they're just, mom, you know, but they were, they were not good athletes, but she didn't have trouble. Like they're both, they were like first and second chair with like the violin. She didn't have a problem with that. But, uh, but anyway, like somebody, I mean, you know what that's like to like get passed over in. I mean, right off the bat, he says, listen, God chose us. God chose us to be in Christ. That's just, we just step back and let that kind of sink in. God chose us, picked us. He desires us, right? We're enemies of God outside of Christ. We're dead in our sins and our trespasses. We can't do good stuff to please him. We can't do anything to to impress him. And so he comes after us. You let that sink in. You didn't save yourself. God came and got you. He saved you. Chose us in him for the foundation of the world. For what? Listen to this. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Let that sink in. This is how God sees you. Holy. If you're a Christian, holy. Set apart from sin. These are words that, that were only used to talk about God and his holiness. His perfection. He's seeing you through the life of Christ. And he says, you're holy. You're blameless. It's as if, it's as if we'd, we had never sinned. As if we'd always obeyed. He's seeing us through Christ. If you're a Christian, this is who you are. You need to let the scriptures tell you who you are. For some of you, it's so that you would abandon your own self-righteousness and humble yourself before God. And it's for others of you, and maybe you go back and forth. For others of you, that you wouldn't be depressed and think so negatively about yourself and, and, and think that you're worthless, but see that God has put the worth in you through Christ and that he loves you. He loves you. He sees you as holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He adopts us. Man, I, I, love, I, love, I love this right here. I love adoption. Uh, God's grace, at, at some point, for me and my wife, we're, we're going to adopt. And, and there's, there's other families here that, that have done that and are trying to do that. And I know people that have been adopted. And man, it's just such a beautiful picture. Such a beautiful picture of somebody who's in such great need. And to, and to be rescued, and not just rescued and like, you know, here's some money, here's a coat, hope things turn out good for you. Like, no, like, to bring, to go rescue this person and bring them into your home. And to love somebody as a father would love a son. And, and to bring him in and call him son or call him daughter. And to, to love that child and to refer to him as the adopted just kid, right? Like, that you just pour out love on this kid and, after rescuing them. That's a beautiful picture. And God's saying, this is, what I, this is what I've done. You were my enemies, but in Christ I brought you to in to be my sons and daughters. That God becomes our father. That God becomes our father. That he loves us. He loves us in Christ to do this. Throughout scripture, it'll talk about how we're in Christ, or he'll say that he loves us in the beloved. And, and it's this cool, this cool way of understanding that the way that the father loves the son. Right? Think, think about, I want you to go here in your mind if you can. Like, how, how does God the Father love God the Son? It's perfect love, right? I mean, it's the definition. God is love. And within God's nature, God is a trinity, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. There's no pride between them. There's no envy. There's no greed. There's no backbiting. It's not like, you know, 
there's nothing like that within God. There's just love, and joy, and peace, and fulfillment in that relationship. The Father loves the Son perfectly. And if you're in Christ, you've been brought right into the heart of that. Listen to me. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, God loves you the same way that the Father loves the Son. Is there ever going to be a point when God the Father looks at Jesus and says, you know, Sick of you. Get out, get out of here. Get out of my heaven. This is over. Like, go do your own thing. I mean, what, uh, you know, is there ever going to be a point where God is displeased with Jesus? No. No, they're one. They're one. And we've been brought into that. God loves us with the same love that he loves his son. Loves us so much so that he adopts us. And the one thing, you know, I said the, the picture of adoption is so beautiful, but What's the one thing, like, if, if I do, if God, by God's grace, I'm able to adopt a little boy or a little girl, what's the one thing I can't give them? Male pattern baldness. Right? Maxing out at five, almost nine. Right? I can't... <laughs> I can't give them that. I can't pass on my DNA to that kid, right? That's already said. Like, I... I can bring him in. I can love him like a son, like a daughter. Can can share whatever <laughs> my inheritance. Like I, I can pass that on to him. I'm trying to think of what that would be. Eh. I do have a pretty sweet life insurance policy, so maybe maybe it'll be that. But I can't I can't give him my DNA. I can't make them like physically a conti. And I probably wouldn't do that to him if I could. But uh, but this is what's amazing in the gospel. What, what, what happens here? When, when God adopts us, stay with me. When God adopts us as his children, as his, his sons, his daughters, Peter tells us that we become partakers of the divine nature. We're reborn. He gives us a new nature. He makes us new creations. You need to stop seeing yourself as, as just anything, just a human, just a sinner. No, you are a child of the Most High God. He loves you and he accepts you in Christ. He sees you holy and blameless and he's given you his nature. He's given you his nature. You're a child of God. And that's going to free you from seeking approval and security and hope and love and anything else. And it's going to free you to start living out who you really are. Our life shouldn't be devoid of good works. Our good works should be born out of an overflow of who we are in Christ. If we could really get our minds around, if we could really submit ourselves to this truth. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And he's lavished his grace on us. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's forgiven us. Forgiven. It's a humbling thing. We, we kind of talked about this last night, the whole idea of, you know, when, when you know you've messed up, when, you've know, when you know you've sinned, that there should be guilt, right? There should be conviction. There should be conviction. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit will convict us when we're sinning, right? Because we're children of God. We, we, we shouldn't live that way. And the Spirit of God will convict us in order to draw us to God, not drive us away. And the danger is that if, that if we just feel guilty about our sin, it'll, it'll drive us away from God. It'll drive us away. We'll feel unworthy. We'll start. And really, it's just a selfish thing because we're just thinking about ourselves. And what we need to do is think about what Christ has done because Christ has forgiven us. 
So should there be conviction when we sin? Yeah. And that conviction should make us run into the presence of God, knowing that we're forgiven. Right? Man, one of, one of the, you know, sometimes when, when my kids uh, mess up, like my, my two-year-old right now is kind of like this. When, when she does wrong, it, you know, I'm, I'm going to discipline her. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to spank her. Right? And, and, I'll, and I'll say that out loud until the government, like, starts saying that that's illegal. And then I'll still spank them, but I just won't preach about it. Right? Like, I, 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 I'm going to spank her. I'm going to discipline her. I want her to learn. I want to learn that that's wrong. Right? And, and, but one of the coolest things that happens is, is discipline that child. And then, man, she just clings to me. It's like one of those little silverback gorilla deals you see on TV. They're just walking around, you know, clinging to the, the mama. Well, in this case, the daddy. I don't know where I'm going with this. But just, she just holds on to me tight. That's all I'm trying to say. We're not gorillas, right? <laughs> she just clings to me, man. And, and, and we play. And, and, and man, you know, I, I don't want to ever discipline her and then go do my thing. Like a discipliner, and I want to know I love her. And we play and we, and we lead that time laughing eventually. Right? Like I want her to run. Even sometimes that before I discipline her, when she knows she's done something and she turns around and she's like, oh, busted. Sometimes she'll just run to me. I just scoop her up and then we go through that process, right? And, and, and you know what I'm longing for? I'm longing, what I'm praying for, for both my kids, and I got a son on the way. What, what you know, I, I spank it. I'm a, disciplining them for doing what's wrong, right? That, that they've sinned. Ultimately, I want to teach them that they're, they're not sinning against us so much as they're sinning against God. And I'm not trying, but I'm not trying to teach them, hey, you've got to do this perfectly. You, you, got, you got to figure this out. You got to be 100% perfect. I'm not looking for the day when they just no longer disobey. The day that I'm hoping comes for each of my kids is the day when I sit them down and discipline them and they say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't be good. I'm, I'm praying for that day. And I'm going to say, you're right. I can't. I can't. That's why we need Jesus. Right? That's why we need Jesus. He does that. He was good. And he gives us his righteousness and he forgives us so that when we do mess up, we should run straight to our father, knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we're forgiven. That'll free you from trying to find false ways of dealing with your guilt. Just run to Jesus. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Live by faith. Live by faith. Trust God. So pursue him. You know, you know how we can build our faith, right? We need, faith is something that we can, we can build on. Paul in Romans says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So how, how do we do this? How do we live by faith? And pursue Jesus. Trust Jesus. You need to trust and believe in Jesus. How are you going to trust and believe in Jesus more? You get to know him. And spend time with him. Spend time with Jesus in his word. Start believing what he, what he says to be true about you. you. Get to know him through his word, through prayer. And that's going to free you. It's going to free you to really love people, to truly be unashamed of the gospel. I'll pray for us and then give you some instructions. Lord Jesus, love you. God, thank you for this uh, just awesome weekend, for the fun that we've gotten to have and the relationships that have been built and the truth that we've heard. And I pray for these students and myself and the leaders and our staff. 
God, that we would see ourselves in Christ, that we'd see ourselves as identified with your righteousness, as your children that you love. And I pray that it would free us to be the people that you've called us to be, to be conformed to your Son, to be unashamed of the gospel, to be a bold witness of the truth to our family and friends and to strangers.